biggest difference between me and, and the younger generation is how much information they have access to. I used to study anatomy from, from a textbook that weighed a ton and you couldn't get it out of the library. Now you have the whole medical science on your tablet. Welcome back to the Dental Head Start podcast. My name is Graham and I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Maria Avis. Maria is a clinician that has a whole lot of experience around specialties like pros, ortho, and surgery as well. She's done extensive training in all these fields and she shares with us how she obtained these skills and where she started her career and how that blossomed into what she does now. She's a private practice owner in Bondi and she shares a lot of great tips and things that I think that we should be aware of as students and new grads and even grads with a few years experience. If you have any questions, comments or feedback about the podcast, feel free to make a comment on the blog post, on our Facebook or Instagram pages or my own Instagram page at Dr. Graham Pearson. I hope you guys enjoy this chat. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's my that. pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited for our chat today. Uh, there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about, but I would like to give the audience a little bit of an idea about who you are. So I'm just going to talk about the organizations and things that you're a part of. So if I miss anything, will you let me know? Of course. Awesome. So, Maria, you're an educator at Ripe Global, as well as the yep. Brenner Implant Institute. Former. Former, okay. Used to, yes. You're a graduate of the Brenner Implant Institute, uh, a member of the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, uh, and Australian Society of Endodontics. Uh, you have a fellowship and master of implantology status by the ICOI. You're the principal owner of Akoya Dental Boutique in Bondi, which you started in 2015. And you're a mother of two. Yes. <laughs> and two How did dogs I do? and a cat. And two dogs and a cat. Great. <laughs> yeah, it's a full household. Eh? I guess my first question for you, Maria, is uh, what do you find harder, being a mother or a dentist? Being a mother. A hundred percent. The hardest work you will ever do. That's why I went back to work up to three months. <laughs> I just, no. yeah. You're not only a, a mother, but you're also a, a, a practice owner. And uh, I can't imagine what kind of busyness and stressors that you're under. Oh, look, to, to be perfectly honest with you, I think work is an escape. <laughs> mm, interesting. If, if you thought dentistry Tell me more. Was, <laughs> if you thought dentistry was difficult, try, be, try being a mother to twin boys. So, Maria, you're now a, a practicing dentist, but let's, let's roll back a little bit. Where did it all start for you? I came to Australia uh, just over 30 years ago. I was about 20 um, oh, I just told you how old I am. Um, I can't do quick don't, math. So. Don't, don't, <laughs> okay. I don't mind at all. But, um, yes, uh, I uh, came to Sydney and uh, uh, wanted to go into medicine. Um, I'm in dentistry by accident. I uh, <laughs> wanted to go into med, and my only option was to actually go back to school and complete my HSC so that I could um, – um, enter into university, and that's what I did. Um, and here I am. Yeah, I aimed for medicine, but I didn't make it. I made it into dentistry. Yeah. And after going through that, do you do you have any doctor friends, and that you're like, oh, I'm actually so glad that I'm a dentist and not a doctor. <laughs> it's it's actually quite funny because um, I have a, a younger sister who's uh, much younger than me, thirteen years younger than me, and. Uh, obviously, I had a lot of influence on on her growing up and and her career, and guess who she ended up being? Just wild guess. She ended up being a dentist, or she went through. No, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> 
probably could have assumed that. Hey. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and she actually chose the specialty that I would have chosen for myself, which was pathology. Um, and now when we talk with her, she is adamant that I wouldn't have liked it and I ended up exactly where I was supposed to end up. But, I mean, you never know, do you? Um, I wanted to be uh, uh, an anatomical pathologist or, you know, a medical examiner or something like that. Um, and now she's a pathologist and, and she is adamant that it's not what I was thinking it, it would be, but I will never know, will I? <laughs> so, mm. yeah. It's so funny because you don't know what the profession holds for you while you're applying to it. And, you know, unless you do some, sh unless you do some shadowing or yeah, maybe you have a family member that's been in the profession, you don't really know what's in store for you in that profession. And that especially goes for dentistry, actually. And mm. maybe so what that's brought why you into I dentistry? fell in love with it. Well, I, I got the mark and, and um, uh, it, it was actually year, I think, 93 when um, the Sydney Medical School started uh, graduate entry. And that's why the mark jumped up significantly. So I actually got a very fine mark in the HSC, but and Sydney was the only option because of the family commitments. I couldn't go anywhere else. Um, so that's why I didn't make it to Sydney. But somebody told me, or maybe I thought of it myself, that if I go into dentistry, which I made. Uh, at that point, um, and then if I got good marks, then I could transfer. So that's why dentistry appeared on my, you know, application list when I got the mark. Uh, dentistry wasn't originally on my application list. <laughs> you know how you had uh, like six um, preferences? It was so long ago. I don't know if you were even born then. To be honest, mm, I actually went to school in, in Canada, so I, I don't even know how the system works here. To be honest, with yeah, you. and it's I'm sure now it's completely different. But the way it used to be in in '93, you had your application for university, and of course you applied before your HC exams, so you couldn't possibly know your mark, but you had a guideline from previous years of what you could be aiming for, so. I had just medicine on my application form, nothing else. But after the first round of offers and after you got your HSC mark, you had the opportunity to change your options. So that's when dentistry appeared on my application form. And, of course, I made it. And um, I was actually planning to do well in the first year or two and transfer. And then I changed my mind. <laughs> I got stuck. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a couple of students in, I think, my first and second year as well that they were in dental school and then they disappeared and went to the, the med stream. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really interesting. And so when you saw that you realized you got into dentistry, was it almost like, oh, dang, I'm in dentistry now? Or was it a happy thing? No, it was, oh, dang. Yeah. It was <laughs> definitely so an, oh, dang moment. Yes. And for, funnily enough, my father um, is was and is to this day uh, terrified of dentists, probably worse than death. That's how bad it is. And when and in those days, of course, we didn't have computers. So when we got our university offers, we had to go to Oxford Street where the papers came out at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> those were the times. And we had to get those fresh papers to find out which university you made. Um, and we got those papers and, and I returned home at five o'clock in the morning and I, my father was waiting for me on the balcony and I screamed, Dad, I made it into dentistry. And his reply was looking up into the skies. Um, oh, God, what have I done to deserve this? <laughs> my, my own daughter is a professional torturer. Yes, that's, that, uh, that's, that's how it was in my family, yes. That's funny. It's very funny. Oh, that's good. And so when you were in dental school, uh, when you started the hands-on components, started doing some things in sim clinic on patients, did your ideas start changing about if you actually liked it or not? 100%, yes. Um, and I think part of it was that um, 
without trying to be immodest, I actually realised very quickly that I was very good at it. Um, Being Russian and growing up in Russia, well, first of all, almost every Russian would go through a a music school of some description. And I finished eight years of uh, piano. Uh, But also uh, manual skills were very popular, especially amongst girls. We used to sew neat and make lace and, you know, hand things. And I just found that all these things that other people like wirebending and and waxing up things and just doing things with your hands that everybody found, oh, my God, how do I do this? I just found that it came naturally to me and I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. How good's that? Yeah. yeah. So you had a bit of you had a bit of a natural kind of uh, 100%. You know, knack to it. Hey, hundred percent. Yeah. Mm, that's great, and, and I feel like uh, once students start getting into their third, fourth year, start getting a bit of a hands-on things, there. That's when you really find out if it's for you or not. So you finished school at the University of Sydney, was it? Uh, yes, Sydney Uni. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you finished school at University of Sydney. Uh, where did you work after? What was your first job? Um, I had two jobs to begin with. One was uh, for my pros uh, coordinator, pros professor, um, which was very flattering. Um, and that was only one day a week. And the other job was just in a general practice out in the suburbs. Yeah. and And that's what was happening to me pretty much for a long time, for many years. I would have one job, uh, a very specific, like I worked for a prosthodontist initially, then I worked for an orthodontist. Um, and and then the rest of my days I would spend just in a standard garden variety general practice. Right. So you had a lot of exposure to different specialties, it sounded like. Yeah, that's what I was, that was my aim and that's what I liked and, that's what I did, yes. And that was a, the, a very good decision. I'm very happy that I didn't go into private practice on my own from the beginning uh, because I wouldn't have got all this exposure and I would be busy worrying about other things because as a practice owner, you can't just concentrate on skill development. You, you totally, know, yeah. Responsibilities, and- yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and I would love to talk with you about uh, your your practice ownership as well. Um, uh, but in terms of in terms of uh, you know the starting of your career, so you work part time uh, at a couple of different practices. Uh, did you want to be full time at one practice, or were you very happy part time mm-hmm. both practices? I never wanted to be uh, full time in one practice because I felt that I was learning different things and and I was exposed to different things when I was working for different people. Um, And also I'm the type of person that I get bored very easily. And when I get bored, it's very difficult to get me back on board. (laughs) So it it just kept uh, my week broken, I guess. Um, Just kept a little bit more fun in it. So routine is something that kills me. I don't like routine. When something becomes routine, I no longer want to do it, basically. And it doesn't matter how much I get paid because all my practices, I was just very lucky. And, and of course, in the, you know, 20 years ago, it was much easier. Um, good percentages, good money. Um, money was never a motivating factor for me, never, ever. So I just yeah. wanted to Yeah, and I think that's, that's a great way to be – practicing as well as and to be looking for jobs not have money as your first you know your primary factor for sure did you find there's anything any kind of negatives to being part-time in different practices can't think of any to be honest i've never been asked that question before no no i don't i don't see any negatives no just positives i loved it absolutely loved it hmm Love it, yeah. I mean, it, it it works for different people, and and I think that's uh, no, I think that's great that it was that you found it so so great for you, and you know, you're at a point in your career. I I see your work, and I see you do so many different kind of complex cases, and obviously doing these, working for these different jobs, learning from a you know a, 
working in a pros practice, an ortho practice, a general dentist practice, you know, uh, what kind of mentors did you have to gain these skills? That's a very interesting question because I, to be perfectly honest, without naming any names, but a few practices, general practices where I worked, I was not ecstatic about the mentorship that I was receiving from my bosses. And maybe that was part of the motivation to go and seek other mentors. Um, Certainly my prosthodontic boss, who was previously my, had been previously my teacher, um, had huge influence on my career. He was a very prominent prosthodontist. I believe he's still teaching, actually. Um, so and who is that, if you don't mind me asking? Jim Ironside. Jim Ironside was my first boss. Okay. I, th- I think he's teaching in Griffith now, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure if he's still in private practice. Um, but, yeah, uh, he, he was a very well-known prosthodontist. Uh, and I learned a few ha- uh, good habits from him. Um, and then my orthodontic mentor to this day, and we're very good friends personally um, and professionally, and I still refer patients to him, Derek Mahoney, you know, um, and and he's local. Like we live close by, he has a practice close by, and to this day I learn. I still go to his courses and uh, still learning a lot from him, and I worked for him for three years. So that's mentorship as far as mentorship goes. Then, of course, Professor Brenner uh, was another one. Um, who else should I mention? Um, well, in, in the last maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years when implantology became my focus, um, I got other people to kind of follow and, and admire but that's an interesting point that you're raising, I think, Graham, because uh, I was thinking when I was mentally preparing for this conversation, I was thinking uh, one of the things, and you said that younger generation of dentists would be your audience, and I was thinking, wow, the the, the biggest difference between me and, and the younger generation is how much information they have access to. Uh, I used to study anatomy from from a textbook that weighed a ton and you couldn't get it out of the library. Now you have the whole medical science on your tablet. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? And that made me think one of the valuable skills that is required now that we didn't kind of have to think about it is filtering, filtering everything that comes to you because there's so much that's coming to you and there's so many people around you that are willing to give you input, how do you filter? Because not all of it is good. And going back to the mentoring question, uh, of course there's a personal component there as well, but you can't just go on a personal component, can you? Um, So, yes. Mentors are vital in our field and very hard to, not hard to find, but hard to find the one that you want. Mm. Yeah, that totally resonates with me. And and I think that resonates probably with a lot of other people trying to find their first job right now. You know, a lot of people, a lot of owners hiring uh, and, you know, everyone says the word mentorship. Everyone says that they'll be a mentor. And, and you mentioned that you had a, you worked at a practice that you weren't super happy with the mentorship. What, what weren't you happy with? What was your expectation of mentorship with them? I can't right now answer the question of what my expectations were, but uh, maybe it's because of my own personality and how stubborn I am and how I've got very set ideas, which can be good but can be really bad sometimes because um, I'm, I'm not terribly flexible when it comes to changing my mind. Uh, but I'll give you an example. One of uh, one of the, my bosses that I worked for, um, well, first of all, he was very focused on money. And I was given a minimum production, which absolutely, like, wasn't me. But, okay, it was a very upmarket practice and, and 
there was a lot of complex treatments that were being done and I thought, okay, great exposure. But when it came to production and if I didn't make the production for the day, I would be set down with the boss and we would go through the patients and he would look at the photos that I'd taken and he'd be saying things like, well, look at all those huge amalgams. Why aren't you replacing them? Well, because I don't think they need to be replaced. And that's where the philosophy came into it. That's when I started being fed things like amalgams break teeth, amalgams look ugly, amalgams are not what today's dentistry is all about, so you need to remove them. Um, so you need to give your patients the best, and at the, at the moment they're not given the best. Um, so why are you leaving all this shit? Would you like this shit in your mouth? which sounded plausible, you know, and it, it took me a while to, to realize what was happening and how to respond to that. As a young dentist, I didn't know how to respond to that, but my gut feeling was, well, no, I don't think they all should be ripped out and replaced with super expensive porcelain on lace and would clash all the time. And I, and I was labeled as non-team player and stubborn and non-teachable at that point so this is one of the problems that that we had and only now and, and after one boss said that about me and then another boss said about me and being a young girl I was thinking oh shit maybe there is something wrong with me um and of course it was, it was very painful and and it took a lot of you know self-searching and of course a lot of learning over the years if I went back now and found myself in that situation, I would have had all the answers to give to, to those bosses. But as a young girl, I didn't. And and I was labelled difficult and I actually thought that, yeah, I, I was just difficult. But I, did, I wasn't necessarily ready to, you know, step over myself. So I kept looking and looking and looking kept looking for answers. But that, that's one of the examples, okay? And, and there were plenty of other examples. I worked for a preferred provider practice and, and also the focus was production. Um, and how do you bring production up? And that was the ugly part of dentistry and I didn't want to know anything about it. And then and at, in that practice I was being told, oh, Maria, okay, when you have your own practice, then we'll talk. Then you'll change your mind. Well, I haven't. I actually haven't changed my mind when it comes to preferred provider practice and what we had to do to achieve production that the boss expected of us. Um, so, yeah, those were the problems that I'm sure every single new graduate out there is facing. How to deal with that? I don't have any answers. I don't like giving advice because advice is, I mean, all of these things are very personality dependent, your own experience and philosophy dependent. Um, so I can only talk about my own experiences, but I don't necessarily want to give advice to anybody. It sounds like you really built up your, uh, your confidence in knowing what you would say with experience and just kind of going through it and and finding out what worked for you. And, and, and you know, that's, that's totally fair. And I'll tell you, Maria, you know, um, I have you on the podcast because I love what you do. And, you know, I, I want to hear advice that you think you would benefit from if you heard yourself. And you're not going to get all these questions so easy. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional, and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, 
call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. I guess I want to, uh, I guess, talk a little bit more about what you do clinically, you know, your areas of expertise. You do uh, complex orthodontics, you do rehabilitations, surgery, implants. Um, how did you develop such a broad range of skills? Uh, I am a CPD junkie, addicted, guilty. Uh, have been threatened with divorce multiple times if I do another course this year. Um, was never scared of, <laughs> of doing more courses. Sounds um, like it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's actually really funny. My friends joke about it. I'm really good friends with Chris Hull, and I keep going to his courses. And Chris himself, because we are about the same age and we graduated about the same time and we started doing courses together. And now when I go to Chris's courses, he's like, oh, really? You haven't done this one? <laughs> really? <laughs> um, so uh, just doing lots of courses and, and really keeping the interest alive. Uh, I think actually that if, if you don't keep educating, remember I said to you I don't like routine and I don't like, I get bored very easily. This is what keeps me from getting bored because if you go to a course, even if the course is not fantastic, that's what I've learned over the years. There are no poor, well, there are poor courses, but you still learn something. Every single course that you go to, invariably, you will learn something. Uh, and that small thing, you will keep thinking, oh, shit, I really thought I shouldn't have paid that $3,000. But you will take something away from it. Um, and that that's how it's been pretty much. Uh, I think it's just keeping myself entertained, really. <laughs> I don't see any heroics in it. I'm just keeping myself from getting bored to death. Um, because really, if you keep doing fillings and single crowns and doing the same dentistry every day, I would get bored to death and I couldn't do it for any amount of money because, like I said to you from the beginning, money can never be a motivating factor for me. It doesn't matter how much money because I can make a lot of money now, but if there's something that I don't want to do, I just won't do it. Full stop. <laughs> um, so it started with prosthodontics. So I was obsessed with prosthodontics for a while, even considered a specialty, um, but could never really afford a specialty and, and I was married really early, had kids late, but still I had kind of responsibility. I didn't, my husband paid my way through the dental school, so I didn't want him to keep paying my way, so um, didn't go to specialise, although I really wanted to. Then my next obsession was endodontics, um, and I just was doing lots and lots of courses and just trying to improve my skills. Then orthodontics, which is to this day, um, I'm actually thinking of enrolling myself into a, another, like a proper course um, to do with aligners because I've always been like a, a fixed appliance person and I'm not doing a lot of aligners at the moment. Um, I just don't feel I've got enough background to do aligners. Um so orthodontics, very much interested. That's what keeps me alive. And implantology, implantology seems to be a, a, a bottomless pit. So <laughs> I think I've found my thing. <laughs> oh, very cool. <laughs> because there's just no end to it. It just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And and you being someone who gets bored easily, I'm sure I'm sure that's the specialty that'll that will keep you going. Hey, Maria, you clearly have a passion about surgery and implantology, as you've been, as we've been talking about. Uh, how did you develop your skills over time? Like you went, you did the Brenner Implant uh, Institute. It started actually before then. Um, it started with small courses, like everybody else. It started with Nobel courses. Um, I think everybody start or these days. Uh, I mean, when I was a younger. Uh, dentist. Uh, Nobel was pretty much the only company that offered a wide variety of courses to the general practitioner. 
but now there are more companies. But it was initially the uh, implant company courses and just following different, watching procedures, uh, following different surgeons. Oh, I don't like the word self-taught, but a lot of it was that and just going for it and pushing yourself and doing little things to begin with, doing little, you know, courses here and there. Brenner was a big push for me because Brenner, uh, at that, in those years, he was the only, uh, it was the only course that offered patient treatment, short of going to Cambodia. Uh, which uh, I, I considered that too, but um, uh, Brenner was uh, well, I chose Brenner because I felt that it gave more of a local experience and it also ensured that the patients were followed up. Um, so yeah, and that's where I did a ton of surgery under the supervision. And that was a big kick. And then he hired me as a clinical tutor, which was an even bigger kick. Um, so, yeah, I think Brenner, did I mention him as one of my tutors, as my, one of my mentors? He was one of the biggest influences on my career as an implantologist. He also, I'm very grateful to him for, I'm not a terrorist, I may not sound like it, but I'm not a terribly confident person. I will doubt myself to the very last minute and I will rethink things before I do them. Um, I have a very female attitude to, to going forward in surgery. I, I'm super careful. My tolerance to failure is very low. My risk profile is very low um, and which is, again, can be considered as a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your point of view. For me, at some point, I think it was a bad thing because it was stopping me from achieving. Um, and I think Dan broke that. He basically smacked me in the ass, not literally, um, and just gave me the confidence to go for it. And he just basically told me that, yes, you are good enough, go ahead and do it. I had I needed to hear that. Yes. That's really that's really great. Sometimes we need to do these courses and go through these live surgeries, having someone beside us the whole time to kind of give us the confidence to to go back to practice and do it ourselves. Surgery, you've got to take risks. You've got to grow balls. Um, and, and like I said, it's very personality dependent. Um, a lot of people don't have a problem with that and they just go for it. Is that a good thing? I don't know. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. <laughs> That's how you get yourself into trouble too. Um, but it's a balance. So I guess it's good for people to know that this is what, this is what it's like. You can't be a surgeon and, and be 100% careful and um, not. you will have failures. You have to be prepared, prepared for it and it's extremely painful for some people more than for others. And, and how you handle those failures is one thing but also how you just prepare yourself. Do I do this or do I refer this? This is a dilemma that we face every single day and it's an extremely difficult dilemma because somebody said to me when I was a student that if you think that there's someone who can do this better, refer. Think about this. If we all did this, none of us would go beyond uh, a class two cavity in our careers. Because there's always someone that potentially may be doing it better. But you have to try and, and progress. How do you progress? You progress by taking risks. There's no, there's no other way of saying it. You progress by taking risks. You have to be very conscious of it. And with, with taking risks with surgeries, you said with surgery, you have to take risks. You take risks all the time. You take risks all the time, um, and in, in surgery more than more than anything else, because you actually can do a lot of potential damage. 
Uh, and on the other hand, I don't like people that that go into it without any thinking and, and without any planning. But then again, people like myself used to be that was so careful and so overthinking and so over-preparing that it actually stops you from doing it. You've got to find that balance when you get enough confidence as well as competence because confidence doesn't give you competence. Those are not equated. So that balance is, I think, very difficult to achieve and it's up to your individual judgment as a surgeon as to where that point is. Yeah, right. So, Maria, I've actually watched uh, your five-video soft tissue surgery module on Rice Global. Did you? Yeah, it was really in-depth and and fantastic. Um, So my question for you is what is your favorite uh, procedure to do? Maybe uh, to keep it specific, surgical procedure to do. Uh, my favorite surgical procedure yeah. to do uh, would be uh, connective tissue grafts to do with recession coverage and soft tissue enhancement. Yes, I'm actually in the process of finishing off my master's thesis on that. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell us more about that. Um, I'm doing a, a master's of oral implantology with Goethe University. Okay. Uh, I was supposed to graduate in September last year, but because of COVID, we couldn't travel. So it's all kind of dragged on and on and on and on. Um, and now that the the borders have opened, it looks like there might be a possibility of me going at the end of February and finishing off everything that I owe them still, including my thesis, which had been frozen for some time. And um, it just came alive in this holiday break. <laughs> It's kicking. It's kicking and screaming now, yes, and trying to be born (laughs) in pain. Yeah, that's really cool. Why did you do the Masters of Oral Implantology? What did you think that was going to bring to your skill set? I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that question. (laughs) Why did I do it? Other than you being CPD junkie. No, that. Sorry, I, I I can't lie, and I'm gonna have to be honest here. So please um, do. The only <laughs> reason I did this, um, nothing to do with my being a CPD junkie. If it was that, I actually would have done other courses. I just want the piece of paper. Sue me. <laughs> sorry, it is what it is. I just want a piece of paper. I, I, it's hard to explain. I could go into, you know, a woman in a man's field area, but I don't really like that that topic and, and I'm not I'm not really a feminist and I don't nothing is stopping women from achieving whatever the hell they want to achieve. Um I, I don't know. I somehow I just felt that I needed this reassurance. Maybe. Maybe it's going back to my not being awfully confident in myself. So maybe I'm proving something to not even anybody out there, maybe to myself. But I just really wanted it. So it didn't have anything to do with it being like a structured program versus taking XYZ weekend courses. It was mainly to do with the letters that came along with it. Not not in my case, because by the time I made the decision to do the course, I actually no longer needed a structured course. Um, I'd acquired enough body of knowledge to just go ahead and do advanced courses like in Europe. And again, um, with younger generation, oh, my God, you've got so much more these days available to you, you know, about all these like there's a, a Brazilian oral surgeon uh, that 30 years ago, he's absolutely, he's god of soft tissue surgery. Th- 30 years ago, no one would have known about him. Now uh, we can bring him to Australia. We can learn from him. 
over the internet. We, we know about his existence. We, we look at his slides and, oh, my God. And who is this that you're talking about, this Brazilian? Uh, Ricardo um, Kern. Ricardo Kern, okay. Yeah. Did you, have you heard the name? I'm sure, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've yeah. heard the name by now. Uh, when he first came to Australia, when he first started lecturing, he actually didn't speak English. That's that's how times have changed. He didn't speak English, and and now he's only lecturing in, in English, and he's the absolute star. Uh, and I could give you other examples of, of brilliant people that, that I've been. Please do from. so. So you'd recommend Ricardo Kern's course if ever possible. Anyone's able to go, or or he was able to come to Australia. Who else? Who else would you recommend? Uh, Radoslav Yadach. Have you heard the name? For, for soft tissue? Uh, Radoslav is, uh, a, well, no, actually, Ric- Ricardo would be my star for soft tissue. The second, not second, I'm not going to rank them, but another star for soft tissue would be uh, Mario Steigman. Uh, I've done all his courses. He is uh, like, oh, my God. Um, if you get to listen to him. So I've listened to all these people before I went to MOI. Uh, Just going back to the point that I don't really need a structured program anymore. Um, I I really just need the letters. Um, uh, Radoslav is a a Polish surgeon. Again, when he started lecturing, didn't speak English. Uh, when, When he was discovered... Uh, actually, I think discovered by Lincoln Harris, to be honest, and brought to the world arena. You know who Lincoln Harris is, that right? Yes. yes, yeah. Lincoln Harris has been on the podcast as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he has. Um, but, <laughs> but yes, to, to whatever everybody else may think about Lincoln Harris, one of the things that he's definitely achieved is he brought some. Uh, Gigantic, gigantic names out out in the open, like Radoslav. He was very much, you know, um, a product of uh, Lincoln. Found him by accident and started bringing him out. Um, he is just a, a an out of this world master magician surgeon. Uh, more to do with bone, I would say. He's a maxillofacial surgeon. So he basically builds, and again, I, I went to his practice and uh, I spent with a couple of Aussie mates, we spent two weeks in his practice just learning, you know, 12 hours a day, just listening to his lectures in a very, very small group of mainly Europeans. Um, and uh, then we, we would listen to lectures until 6 p.m. and then surgeries would start. <laughs> Yeah, we could never have dinner. We were so exhausted. We never had dinners. It was a great way of losing weight, actually. Um, so uh, he he is the type of person that will build, like if you've got no bone in the maxilla, like no bone, um, he would build a little bird cage from little pieces of bone within two hours with little screws and some native bone, you know, um, in front of the we'd be uh, in, in a lecture theatre and he'd be in his, uh, uh, you know, audiovisual connection, much like Brenner Institute, and he would literally in front of us just build a little birdcage in that person's maxilla. Never seen anybody else do anything like this and, and we would just be sitting. It's, a, it's, a, it's an unforgettable experience because it was a very small group of us and we were just sitting and we were just like, Oh, oh my God. Oh, did you see that? We were just all taken for two hours. We couldn't even utter another word. We were so taken by, 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 by what he was doing. But, yes, that's Radoslav for you. If you ever have the opportunity to see him and listen to him, and oh, my God, yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make notes of, of all those names and the recommendations because, yeah. That, 100%, yes. Fr- from your reactions, I can see that it's a very worthwhile trip to go see. 100%. <laughs> to see those, those uh, dentists work. 
BOQ specialists have worked closely with dental professionals for over 30 years and they understand the unique challenges that you, as a dental student or graduate, will face at the beginning of your career. I know they helped me early on as a dental student and they can help you too as they offer a private banking experience and tailor their products for dental professionals. I can say they have great customer service. I've lost my password that many times and they've always been able to help me. Nothing like the experiences I've had with competitors. So if it sounds like they can help you too, get in touch with them for a chat. For more information, visit boqspecialist.com.au slash students or check out the show notes for more details. TNCs, fees and lending criteria apply. See boqspecialist.com.au for more details. So uh, flipping over a little bit now, um, we're going to talk to, I know you were not super keen on advice, but I do want to ask you, uh, I'm looking for almost kind of like specific tips or advice, mainly for new graduates. Uh, And I guess my first thing I want to ask is, what mistakes do you see new graduates making? Uh, Climbing up the um, Dunning-Kruger curve too eagerly. Relax. You're bound to go through all of this. You know, the the curve exists for a reason, but don't be too eager to climb too too high too quickly because the falls are going to be much more painful. Um, I guess just relax. Again, very difficult to advise because some people will be hugely motivated by money. So, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all have different motivations. Uh, other people will be hugely motivated by status and what, what they achieve and what they post on Instagram. And whatever advice I give will go in one ear and out the other for those people. Um, like I said, how do you give advice when there's such a variety of personalities what advice would you give yourself if you were out in your first year? Relax. Don't put too much pressure on yourself because the personal cost, not monetary, of course, um, it is huge. And if you're, I mean, I guess anybody in dentistry would probably be classified as a high achiever. Although I don't know now that they've changed the course. I don't know things are changing. But... Um, Look, looking at Instagram and, and seeing your uh, peer and your colleague doing something that you think, oh, shit, why haven't I done this? Just don't waste your time on this. It is It means so little. Um, just, it's really easy to get sucked into that, isn't it? Yeah, and that, that, that's one of the things that really worries me because we, with all my experience and with all my wisdom for what it's worth, even I'm finding it difficult sometimes. I look at Instagram posts and, and inevitably, I'm, and of course being super critical of myself, I'm thinking, ah. And then I slap myself. I've got enough self-awareness now to catch myself doing it and saying, oh, don't be ridiculous. Uh, but for a younger person, it's very, very difficult. And, and um, that would be one advice. Just don't look at anybody else. Concentrate on what you are and what your skills are. Learn to assess your own skills. Be very truthful to yourself. Um Trying to impress others, trying to compete with others um, is a, a very bad game and it, it will get you nowhere, maybe into a depression. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is, is run your own race and, and focus on your own development. Don't worry about what's around you. Uh, and social media can, can do that, can really make you think, oh, why is that guy already placing an implant? Or why, you know, why is she already, you know, doing full mouth rehabs, right? So Switch it off. Um, Switch it off. Just social media. Um, they're, they're, and I think now it's becoming more, I'm thinking now, Two or three years ago, I was thinking, oh, social media, incredible, that, that, that can give you so much in development, yes. But now I'm, I'm thinking you have to get your time off social media. It has to be strict. 
like I am with myself now. I'm leaving my phone downstairs when I go up to, to the bedroom. And it's hard, you know. It's like it's like an addiction. But you have to switch yourself off. Don't do too much of it and don't try try not to be influenced by it because it means very little. Mm, yeah, that's that's great advice. Maria, tell us about some of the, the tougher times in your career. I think tougher times would be when I started out in the first few years. That that those were very, very tough because you graduate from the dental school at the top of the Dunning Kruger curve. And you think you're fucking awesome. Um and then the inevitable painful fall follows. It has to. And then the self-doubt starts. Um, I, I think probably the first <laughs> 10 years of my career, <laughs> it's not three, it's probably 10, because only after 10 you're actually starting to learn something. Um, you know that university doesn't actually teach you a profession. Um, that's, that's what I keep telling my kids. I used to tell my sister and, and that's something that people absolutely have to understand. University does not teach you any skills other than how to learn. And it gives you license to practice on people. Let's be honest about this. And it will take you at least 10 years to become something. Maybe not even something great, but something. Um, but what I see around me with new grads is that five years out, they think they're pants, ants, ants, pants, ants, pants. <laughs> they think they're the hot diggity. Yeah. <laughs> if you could go back and tell yourself, you know, in those first 10 years, when you're feeling that self-doubt, what would you tell yourself? And to all those others who may be feeling the same thing, that they're doubting their skills. Uh, relax. If you put the time and effort, it will come to you and the money will come to you. It's very easy in our profession to make money. question is how you actually want to make it. Uh, there are lots of ways of making money in the way that won't leave you sleep. Well, what will, would leave me sleeping poorly at night doesn't necessarily apply to you. But you have to make that distinction very early on and decide what, what you want to achieve. Just be true to yourself and just relax. That's what I keep telling young people. Don't, don't fret over everything. You can't keep everything in control. You have to go through the motions. You can't become really, really good at something in one year. It's not possible. So why would you even not try? You always try. You aim for the moon, of course. But you certainly wouldn't criticize yourself for not achieving that. Just just please realize that it takes years and just keep doing what you have to do and things will fall into place. Yeah, yeah, that's really sound advice. And I, it, from what I've been hearing from a lot of different uh, experienced dentists is that you really have to experience things and there's a natural flow to skill levels and and yeah what you're saying you can't kind of expedite this confirms that yeah and sometimes it seems like oh pff, of course no those people are just old and they're just old maybe if it works out for you great but if anybody wanted advice, then maybe, maybe it's not so easy. <laughs> no, we, we appreciate that, Maria. And that's, that's you know, level-headed advice coming from experience. So we love that. So I'm going to... I'm not trying to sound ancient. <laughs> it's not coming off that way either. <laughs> so we're going to wrap things up a little bit here. Uh, and I just have a final couple questions for you. If you could go back, this kind of follows along with 
our topics on progressing naturally. But if you could go back and change your early years to get where you are faster, what would you change? Would it be a course? Would it be working at a different place? Uh, I think it, in hindsight, uh, I think if I did my Brenner course a few years earlier, um, I think I would have been overall much happier faster. Um, but this is very hypothetical because I did the Brenner course and I felt I was ready to do the Brenner course, you know. It's just like uh, for many, many years, people kept telling me, why don't you have your own practice? And I kept telling them, I'm not ready. I don't want it. I'm just, I'm not ready. And when I got into my own practice and started my own practice, I was thinking, shit, why haven't I started it earlier? Um, but you can't think that way because if you're not ready, you're not ready. You're ready when you're ready. So um, if I went back, would it be good if I started my practice 10 years earlier when I wasn't ready? I don't know. Um it's always easy to think in hindsight, but it's not very useful. Uh, one thing I tell you for sure, I'm really happy that I didn't go into uh, private practice early, as in two, three, five years out of dental school. That would be bad because you have the responsibilities and constraints, financial constraints that potentially would not allow you to develop into a, a proper professional, honestly. When you were saying that you didn't join private practice earlier on your career, where were you working that wasn't private practice? No, no, I mean my own. Your own, because starting your own practice. Yes, yes. And skill development. Correct. Because then you are constrained. And they are serious constraints. When you've got a million-dollar mortgage on your business, uh, the stars in your eyes somewhat dim. Um, and I kind of I felt that I kept my stars and my eyes going for a lot longer because I didn't have all these responsibilities, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And, and I think that's really sound advice. So I appreciate that. Uh, my last question for you, Maria, is imagine you could teach every single graduate something to help change their career or just kickstart them a little bit better. What would you say to them or, or what advice would that be? Be true to yourself. Learn about yourself. Understand yourself and be true to yourself. Um, I think possibly it will make absolutely no sense to the vast majority of people who are listening to me now. But it, if, if you just keep saying it to yourself, it will start making more sense because too many things we're doing um, for purposes that are not important. Uh, young people are not very good at precipitating important stuff. And the most important thing is to be true to yourself. That's, that's really well said. And I think that's a perfect place to end the podcast. So thank you, Maria, for joining me tonight. And uh, I really you appreciate so much your time. For having me. Thanks, Graham. The more you learn about orthodontics, the more you see it applying to almost every case. It might not always be necessary, but it's almost always an option. So then you think, I want to do aligners for my patients, and your challenge is to learn how to do that to a high standard. But once you've learnt that, many people find that the challenge then is how do you actually make that work within your practice? How do you make this efficient and therefore profitable enough for you to be able to provide that to your patients in private practice? There's two people I think about when I think about aligners and then practice management. That's Dr. Jeff Hall and Dr. Jesse Green. And now they've come together to create Clear Aligner Excellence, their new education platform that is aiming to solve both of these problems for you in your practice while also giving you huge discounts off the major aligner therapy companies. 
Over the next six years, Alina Therapy is forecast to increase by 28%. This is a huge opportunity. Take it with both hands. Clearex.com.au Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com start to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.